welcome to the TechLink Health Podcast, an on-demand source for the top trending healthcare topics and insights, delivered by key opinion and emerging leaders and as featured on the TechLink Health app. The healthcare industry is rapidly evolving, so our goal is to connect listeners to the most relevant insights, ranging from digital health to financial well-being to interesting side gigs. For more details, visit www.techlink.health. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the TechLink Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Saman, and I'll be hosting this episode. When thinking about holistic health and well-being, there are a number of factors that go into the happiness equation, ranging from mental and physical health to financial well-being and professional vitality. Today's episode is a continuation of the TechLink Wealth Series and focuses on the financial well-being and professional vitality aspects of the happiness equation. This episode's guest is Dr. Vicki Rackner, a physician, author, speaker, and coach. She's the founder of Engaging Doctors, a company focused on helping financial advisors, wealth managers, tax strategists, and revenue managers understand the financial needs of doctors so they can better attract, engage, and serve physicians, dentists, and healthcare executives. She also hosts Thriving Doctors, whose mission is strongly tied to helping doctors build true wealth with their heart of service and evolving brain for business. In addition to her entrepreneurial endeavors, Dr. Vicki has authored two books that are directly tied to her work, Nine Money Mistakes Doctors Make, and How You, Doctor, Can Avoid Losing Literally Millions of Dollars, and The Myth of the Rich Doctor. Doctor, what is the state of your financial health? As well as a third book that we'll be releasing in the future called How Doctors Build True Wealth, and it's not just about money. It goes without saying that Dr. Vicki has a passion for helping others achieve a more rewarding career journey and lifestyle, and we look forward to hearing her perspectives. So without further delay, we're excited to welcome Dr. Vicki Rackner to the podcast. Dr. Vicki, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I love getting empowering information out there. To start and give our listeners some background, can you take a moment to introduce yourself in a bit more detail and tell us about your journey as a practicing surgeon and a serial entrepreneur? Okay, well, it's a ride with lots of turns, so fasten your seatbelt. So when I was an undergraduate, I thought I wanted to be a physicist when I grew up. So I was in a graduate program in physics until I fainted on my way to the bathroom. I had a ruptured ovarian cyst and hemorrhagic And I remember kissing my then fiancé goodbye, thinking this is the final goodbye. When the surgeons got into my belly, about half of my blood volume was in my pelvis. And I was just so grateful to wake up. I knew I wanted to be a doctor and save other people's lives like my own had been saved. So not surprisingly, I became a surgeon. Um, Ultimately, I went into private practice, working primarily with women with breast cancer. So after I kind of got settled in practice, it was time for me to start my family. I was blessed to get pregnant to my wonderful son. I operated my whole pregnancy. I did a bilateral mastectomy two weeks before I delivered. And and it was just pretty amazing. He was the most important thing in my life. And so I took a leave of absence from my practice to put mothering first. And by the way, this is something that wealth does. 
It gives you options. It enables you to put the important things in your life first. So um, the reality, it was kind of boring staying home full time. And I remember folding laundry and I got a call from a lawyer and he said, would you be willing to take a look at a case of medical negligence? And I thought anything but another load of laundry. So I took a look at that one case and then another. So I really got a front row seat to where healthcare gets derailed. But at the end of that year, the question was, what am I going to do? Do I go back to operating? How many people have been a patient in a life-threatening situation, a family caregiver advocating for a loved one, and seen where care went off track? And I had this idea in 1997, what if I started a company, a consulting company, helping doctors and patients collaborate more effectively to get better medical care at a lower cost. And I was completely excited because I thought this is just what's needed. And so I dove in and I struggled and struggled. I hired coaches and mentors. I once calculated that I actually invested more in my sales and marketing training than I did in medical school. I remember going over to Europe to speak and I went to plug in my laptop and I had an aha moment. You can't just plug your laptop into the wall because Europe is wired differently. You need a connector. And suddenly I realized my struggle was that I, as a physician, as a white coat, was wired differently than the business-minded people I was hoping to write me checks. What I was lacking was this adapter. So I set out to characterize the differences between the world of business and the world of medicine between suits and white coats. And that's really my secret sauce, really building a bridge between these two worlds. And the bridge goes both ways, right? So I help doctors conduct themselves in a more business-minded way. And because doctors also need help with their finances, I help a financial services professional truly understand doctors and their relationship with money and then how to successfully build business relationships with doctors. That's a fascinating story. And just thinking through the steps that you went through to get to where you are now, you could never have predicted that. And nobody could have even written that story expecting to have this kind of outcome. So absolutely fascinating. It's apparent that your books are strongly tied to your work helping physicians to focus on achieving their own personal and professional and financial rewards linked to their career in medicine. So let's talk about your books, The Myth of the Rich Doctor and Nine Money Mistakes Doctors Make. So if you would walk us through that journey, and if you had to summarize the top themes from the books, what would those be? All right. So I was consulting with physicians, and I built pretty intimate relationships with my clients. I really got to know them and what was important for them. And then 2008 rolled around and I saw the kind of financial turmoil physicians were in. Like I knew people who were filing for bankruptcy. I knew people who were tapping into their retirement to fund their payroll. And what I knew from my own experience is that unless and until you have a solid financial foundation, you really don't have a whole lot of options. So I just got really curious about doctors and money. And that became my new hobby, interviewing doctors about their money stories. And I probably interviewed hundreds and hundreds of doctors. And once you start doing that, 
friends emerge. And so I got a front row seat to what separates the truly wealthy doctor. And I define wealth as the freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And so this had become a hobby. I became very curious about doctors and their relationship with money. And while I do not offer financial advice, if I facilitate a transformation, it's helping doctors heal their relationship with money, like understanding how they got to be where they are with their money and then what they would need to do in order to make a shift. So every week I publish a little article. My family was on vacation. We were at the hotel eating breakfast and I overheard the couple right next to us talking about those terrible rich doctors. They were having some problems paying for their health care. And they assumed that the reason that they were being denied was because the doctors were all getting rich. And this kind of pushed a button for me because I knew doctors' financial truth. If you look at the data, about half of doctors are behind in retirement plans. Lots and lots of doctors make these dumb doctor deals. So while my family went out for a hike, I went back to the hotel room and whipped off a little blog post called The Myth of the Rich Doctor. And it was just basically speaking to this, to what is the financial reality of doctors and how is it that this couple came to see us as rich? I finished my vacation and when I got back home, this post had gone viral. Like I got invitations to speak. Um, you know, I listened to people, right? So if blog posts got this much information, attention, I thought, okay, let me turn it into a book. If I were to write the title of the book today, it would be Why Smart Doctors Make Dumb Financial Choices. It's just really looking at the data, looking at the observations and making sense of it. And can I share with you like my main point that I've figured out? Oh, I would love to hear it. So everyone wants to be successful. So a suit wants to be successful. A white coat wants to be successful. And we invest in the skills and tools to help us be successful. So like my financial advisor client, they invest in sales and marketing training because their metric for success is profitability, right? They want to know and do the things that are going to help their bottom line. But for us, white coats, service, and clinical outcomes are the primary metrics to which we measure success. So if a financial advisor was meeting with the team and they said, this has been such a great year, profits are up 30%, everyone would be applauding. But if an orthopedic surgeon went into the surgeon's lounge and said, great year, guys, my profits are up 30%, that guy would be referred to a psychiatrist. That's just not how we talk and think about it. And I think it comes back to this topic, at least I have as a boomer that was deeply instilled in me, that the care of a patient should not be tied to a patient's ability to pay. So we simply were taught not to talk about money. And there's this whole disconnection between the care we deliver and what a patient or an insurance company can pay. And if I were to put my finger on the number one cause of spiraling healthcare costs. It's this. Nobody would buy a house without knowing how much it costs. But yet, every time we sign an order, we start charges going. And so I can see that all of these factors have good intentions, 
But when you look at the result of our current circumstance, it's not real pretty. So the book, The Myth of the Rich Doctor, was just really opening up the kimono. Hey, look, here are some of the reasons you do what you do. It's not that you're a bad person. There's some really good reasons that you're doing it. It was an effort to, with compassion, come to see where you are now. But once you start and look and really see where you are right now, the response is usually, really want to be here. I want to be in a better position. So the next book, the Nine Money Mistakes book, was an effort to start the transformation. Warren Buffett has two rules of investing. Rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. So as I looked over all of these conversations that I'd had with doctors, the doctors who built wealth were successfully able to avoid some key mistakes. So I chose nine of them. And that's what the Nine Money Mistakes book is about. Okay, if you want to transform your financial reality, avoid these mistakes. And mistake number one is the failure to understand our basic biologic predisposition and behaviors. There's this whole field of behavioral finance that says, look, smart people don't make smart money choices. And there's a reason. Here, let's understand it so that you can overcome your biology, just like you can overcome a genetic predisposition for heart disease. So I've been all over the United States speaking with physicians about that. But then I started thinking, okay, the nine money mistakes is like moving away from what you don't want. But how about the next step? How about moving towards what you really do want? And so that's what the True Wealth book is about. It's about figuring out what it is that you want and then taking the steps to get there. And I believe that true wealth has wealth in it, right? The freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And the true part is about you do this in a way that's true to yourself. So your calendar and your bank statements reflect your values and priorities. I think that's beautiful. And the idea that wealth gives options is a different way than we are societally conditioned to think about money. So you've told us a bit about your true wealth philosophy, and I'd love to hear more. This is also the title of your upcoming book. Tell us about the motivation and how this will help doctors live more fulfilling lives. And along these lines, share with us your thoughts about burnout and how to best address this rising trend across industries, but particularly across healthcare. Okay, the statistics about burnout are really sobering. There was a Mayo study that showed that over 60% of physicians reported being burned out last year in the U.S. Medscape just published a similar story with similar results. This is rising. I think of true wealth and burnout as the flip sides of the same coin. So if burnout is about being painted into a corner, feeling like you're a victim of circumstances without option, true wealth is understanding how limitless the options are. I think a lot of us physicians tend to think that our value is tied to our ability to treat an individual patient. But the way you run a successful business is to offer value that a buyer wants to receive and then put a price tag on that and be willing to ask that. But unfortunately, as physicians, we have been taught to decouple this, right? 
our value shouldn't be tied to what we're charging or the amount of money that we're making is changing your thinking. And let me give you a specific example. I remember when I was a consultant, I loved doing it. I loved speaking, but I hated selling and marketing. Like I'd rather get a root canal than sell, right? And I remember being at the National Speakers Association and just like sharing this thought with a fellow speaker. And he said, what if selling is nothing more than serving? What if it's just the opportunity? You let somebody else know that you can help them in this way. And like just changing that single thinking about selling differently transformed my ability to actually go out and sell. And now I get really excited about finding the people that I can help. So part of this true wealth formula, part of the way that you get there is, again, with compassion, explore your thoughts. Like, explore your thought about your value. Are you putting limits on the amount of value that you can deliver? Like, a lot of physicians are really keyed into this idea that I can only practice clinical medicine. Like, there are so many patients that I can see. There are so many hours a day not understanding that they can scale. And I think because of our culture, there, there does tend to be resistance about what our ceiling is. And so I like helping people bash through that glass ceiling and see options that they might not see themselves. It's very interesting because we as physicians are not taught or trained or really you know, in the mind of thinking about scaling. And yet that idea is clearly a light bulb moment, not just for that individual person, but as a way perhaps that physicians, any physician can think about what they're able to provide and what their worth might be. So very interesting way to kind of reframe what it means to be a physician and to provide a service. So one of the premises behind TechLink Health is the ability to engage with medical experts for a variety of use cases. For example, a startup needing help with go-to market strategies or a device company that's looking for strategic advice during the product development phases. What's your advice for these types of organizations looking to engage with the physician audience? And taking into account this idea of scaling and perhaps going outside of our comfort zone. Okay. So what you're talking about is you're talking about suits who want to engage white coats, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Part of my ongoing education is watching this show called Shark Tank. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, this is a great show. Okay. So a couple of years ago, there was this doctor who entered the Shark Tank to get funding for his company, Sindaber. He sold synthetic cadavers. This is like a billion-dollar industry. He'd already had millions of dollars in sales. The sharks were all engaged. And I thought, my God, this guy's going to get a five-shark deal. But then the questions started. Mr. Wonderful started asking, tell us about your revenue. Tell us about your profitability. And there on national TV, this doctor said, I suppose I could make lots of money if I wanted to, but money really isn't that important to me. What's important to me is making a difference. And with that answer, four sharks were out. He did a deal with Robert Hershevik that fell apart in a couple of weeks. And you got to ask, what went wrong here? It wasn't the investing opportunity. This was a great investment. Problem was, 
that the doctor did not understand that now he was in the world of business and he needed to speak the language of business. He needed to say something that the sharks wanted to hear. What the sharks wanted to hear is, I'm going to take such good care of your money. You're not going to believe the returns that you see. And this disconnect, like it felt deeply familiar because that was my problem when I first got started. This failure to understand somebody who is wired differently than I am. So I think anytime anyone wants to leave their native land and go to the other side, it's really important to gain a deeper understanding of what does your partner really want? What do they need? What inspires them to take action? And then use that language and avoid this mistake that the doctor made when he entered the shark. Such a great point. We are not trained to speak the language of business. And I think often it makes physicians feel very uncomfortable and almost as if it's something that's better off avoided, as if there's something wrong with admitting to wanting to make a profit or wanting to develop something that goes beyond altruism. And yet, these developments, as we have seen them, are all things that have been funded by business that have allowed us to do things that change people's lives in meaningful ways. So I think that's, a, that's such a great insight. And thank you for sharing that. And I think we can all relate to the idea of Shark Tank and the way that projects and proposals are presented. I think it's really given the average person on the street much greater insight into what goes into developing a business. Now, the emergence of the hybrid-style physician is becoming more and more prevalent. And by hybrid, those that engage in clinical as well as non-clinical activities, as you've presented some examples, a career path that is part of your work and one that you've developed strategic roadmaps in executing. So tell us about your thoughts here and what advice would you have for an emerging class of physicians that might be interested in pursuing these more entrepreneurial ideas, as well as those are, that are later in their career journeys, maybe have a wealth of experience and yet don't know how to take that to the next level. All right. I love this question. So I consider an entrepreneur as a person who has the courage to re-engage these ideas of value delivered and compensation received. So they are willing to say, I deliver this value. And then what is this worth? You ask your customer, what would it be worth to you if you had this outcome? What if I could help you lose 30 pounds or stop smoking or have more vitality or be able to write a book? And value is like beauty. It's determined in the eyes of the beholder. But if you're open to this idea that you deliver value, and if you can facilitate a desired transformation, there are people who will pay you and they'll pay you a lot of money. So like even in the 2008 meltdown, people were still paying for weight loss. They were still paying for cosmetic surgery. And why? It's because that was important to them. So find something, not just that people need, but they actually want. I remember, this is my $40,000 mistake. So I'm really about healthcare consumerism. And I was on a flight and somebody coded 
and they asked for doctors. So I went and responded. This guy was flying alone, nothing on his person to describe his medical history. And we were kind of going blind. And I think that patients should own their health stories, right? I think that they should know their stories. And when you ask them, why are you taking this pill? They say, oh, the little pink one. Oh, I take it because my doctor prescribed it. That's not okay. So I thought, let me create this tool, this personal health journal to help patients keep and maintain their own health stories. And I invested about $40,000 in it. Um, in November, I booked myself on at least a radio show day and all of the hosts said, you can buy this as a holiday gift. It's such a great thing. And the number that I sold was precisely zero. And the reason is that I was creating something I knew people needed. People don't exchange money for the things they need. They exchange money for the things that they want. And so truly being able to step out of your expertise and step into the mind of the person you are trying to help is really important. And that, that would be my major tip. Do some testing ahead of time. Do some informational interviews. Think about the kinds of questions that patients ask when you've got your hand on the doorknob right before you leave. Think and listen to people when they say, sure wish there were da 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 da. Because you could probably fill that need. And that's the best way to do it. So my advice is, first of all, your value transcends your ability to treat. So just be creative. Listen when people say, sure wish there were a solution to this problem. Think about the questions that patients ask you just as you've almost got your hand on the doorknob and you're ready to leave because they're scared that they really want the answer to that question. So try to get into the hearts and minds of your buyer. Find out what's important to them. What is it that they really want? What is it that they want enough so that they're willing to exchange their hard-earned dollars for the value that you deliver? And then be courageous. Be willing to say, look, this is what I'm offering and this is the value. So this is my fee. And I believe in value-based fees. Before I release any product or service, I've gone out and ask people, what would you be willing to pay if I were able to get you from point A to point B? So I'm not making things up. I'm just listening to what my market is telling me. And by the way, if you want to create great marketing material really easily, just listen to the questions that people are asking you about their service. And then that's the headline in your marketing copy. You don't have to make up fancy marketing. Just get back to real life. That's such great advice. And I love the idea of considering needs versus want. I think as physicians, we are compelled and our innate response is to provide what people need. But what they want may be something completely different. And so that's a great insight. And I think if we all start listening, we may learn a lot more than what we anticipated. So on the topic of financial wellness, it's quite clear that you don't directly offer financial advice, but you do engage with financial professionals that are looking to help physicians succeed financially. Tell us more about that work and what advice you might have for finance professionals. Okay, so for finance 
professionals. What I would say is think back to that episode of Shark Tank. And now imagine that there's another reality show, Doctor's Lounge, and you're going into a room. There are five doctors sitting in plush leather chairs, and you want to do a deal with as many of them as possible. Most of them make the exact same mistake the doctor made when he entered the Shark Tank, right? They have this idea about what wealth is and why wealth is important or should be important. But the truth is that it's very different for doctors. I remember listening to the incoming convocation of the president of the American College of Surgeons, and he said, I get paid in hugs. Now, how do you build a business relationship with somebody who believes that? Well, you go and tell doctors, look, I am here to help you make a bigger impact, to serve in bigger ways. And wealth is going to allow you to actually do that. And that plays right into the idea of wealth creating options, which I think is just the heart of your philosophy. So we often discuss emerging technologies on the podcast. And as that relates to your work, what are some of the emerging technologies that are being used in this space? All right. What I tell my financial advisor clients is that they need to form a human connection with doctor. So it's anti-tech. You need to get to know who this doctor is and what's important to this doctor. However, I think that technology can really help in a number of specific ways. I think modeling for the future. Let's say inflation is this and the tax rate is this. Are you going to outlive your money and be able to make tweaks? Being able to project a financial future, I think can be a really strong incentive for doctors to make different choices. I don't think any doctor wants to move in with their kids into retirement. They, they want to leave a legacy. And the truth is a lot of doctors don't even know where they stand. If you ask the doctor, what are your fixed monthly expenses? Like, oh, I don't know, maybe 6000 a month. And it's really 20 But They just are clueless because they don't want to think about it. So being able to actually have some data, have some modeling, running the numbers helps people make better choices. Now, in closing, any final advice for those that want to stay connected to your work? And we're always interested in topical book recommendations or other types of content you might have to recommend on the subject. If you have any recommendations to share or perhaps those that have been influential to you in your journey or work, I'd love to hear about them. Okay. Well, as you point out, I've written three books now about finance. So I would invite people to take a look at those. But here's what's really important. Things change when you take action. So while reading a book is great, I invite you to just do one thing differently. Just get 1% better at something. Maybe it's changing your mindset about selling. Maybe it's exploring what forces really drive your spending. Like for me, it's the stress management tool. My son calls nurseries my crack stores because I love to garden. And so I do a lot of spending, especially when I'm stressed. What inspires your spending? And are there ways that you can modify that with that knowledge? If you just take little teeny baby steps, that's the 
best way to move toward really a transformed future, to build that life of true wealth. So where do you go to get little tips? I try to put out weekly little tips, just one little idea that people can do differently. This week, I just heard about this company called GoodRx. They offer coupons for medication. So, and you can get your drugs dramatically decreased cost with GoodRx. Maybe you want to tell your patients about that. Maybe that will improve compliance. If you're in the U.S., I don't know about Canada. Um, but take action. Just do something. Find a mentor. Find somebody that you want to be when you grow up and find out what that person's doing and then imitate some of that. Wonderful. So wealth creates options and things change when you take action. Those are such great takeaway points. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Vicki Rackner, for spending this time with us and sharing your insights. And I am excited to read your books and to look for the new one that should be out very soon. Thank you again. Thank you again for this chance to get some of those ideas out there. So, you know, the last thing that I want to say is if you struggle with money, if you feel insecure about money, if you've made lots of mistakes, you are not alone. Most doctors that I've spoken with feel the exact same way. The reason I offer financial advice is because I've made every mistake I write about, but there is still hope. You don't have to be imprisoned by what's happened in the past, either your thoughts or your actions in the past. Today is a new day, and there have never been more options for physicians. And one more thing, Dr. Rackner, if you could tell us again how to get on your mailing list, if you could give us your website, that would be fantastic. Sure. So if you are a physician, if you're a native of the land of business, you want to go to thrivingdoctors.com. If you are in the world of business, you want to go to engagingdoctors.com. And again, you want to go to the right community because if you're a doctor and you go to engaging doctors, it's just not going to make sense because it's not written for doctors. Um, so if you're a doctor, thriving doctors, doctor. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. TechLink Health is a healthcare advisory platform for consumers and organizations to stay informed with the latest insights while connecting with healthcare experts for telehealth, e-consults, and consulting services. For more details, visit www.techlink.health.